Welcome to the podcast. For those of you that have listened to season one of us, you will remember my guests today. They are three of the dream team of my practice, the leadership, the management. I have Fernaz. Say hi, Fernaz. Hello. I have Savannah. Hello. And I have Sabrina. Hello there. So if you remember, if you're a frequent listener, they gave each a little talk about things that were important to them last time. And, and we had so many positive responses from like having you guys talk. They felt like they got to know you better. They felt like they were able to like, hey, who's a therapist that I could relate to? So I wanted to do something fun today and bring you all back together because I love hanging out with you. And I got some questions from our subscribers that I thought I would bring to you and you can share your words of wisdom. And I would say they don't know what these questions are. So this is like, you're going to see how fast they are on their feet and how talented they are <laughs> by some of these dating questions that I brought up. So are we ready, ladies? Yes. Okay. So this is an easy one. I'm, I'm giving you a, a slight, this is one I actually made up. This wasn't a, a subscriber. So how do you feel COVID has changed relationships and the way that couples connect with each other? I think, I mean, it's changed relationships so drastically and think the number one thing that at least I see come into the office is couples who have a difference in idea of what quality versus quantity time mm. is because during COVID we had a lot of quantity time with our partners where we're in the same space, we're working from home, we're both sitting on the couch. And for some of us that can feel like quality time, mm. but for those of us who like us to do joint activities, who like us to not have devices on, um, that doesn't feel like quality time, that feels like quantity time. And so a lot of my couples would come in with discrepancies around we don't spend quality time together and then they would say what are you talking about we work from home we aren't together 24 7 mm -hmm. so I think that was a huge change that we saw what do you think about the idea that couples were really confronted with how do we ask for space I think already living together and then adding that extra layer on top of um, especially partners who we're both working from home. Typically, they didn't have they didn't really have space. They didn't know how to manage. Um, I work in the office, and now I come home in the living room, and it's like all discombobulated. So I think that that in itself was really difficult to find time for you and time for your partner at the same time. What about this idea that they didn't have releases from time with their partner so that they could miss them? Yeah, I mean, I think it forced um, couples to just really know what their needs are mm -hmm. and to ask for their needs and express it. Because, I mean, they're spending 24-7 with one another, not getting enough space, not getting good quality time uh, with one another. I think it just forced them to ask for it. You know, and just like, I, this, is, this is the time that I need for myself. This is the time that I need us to spend quality time with one another, to have date nights, you know, come up with new ideas and plans so that th they can keep the passion going. I think sometimes asking for space for our couples feels so scary too. It feels so threatening, I think, because anytime you hear like, I need space, it, I think, our couples expect their partner to view that as a rejection, but just like what you said, I need space so that I can be present for you. Because if I'm just with you 24 seven, I'm getting worn out and I'm not gonna be as present. 
I also think with, especially if we're met with any avoidant tendencies or anxious attachment, it can be really difficult to have those conversations at home and then wondering, well, what do I do with this now? How do we approach it in a way that we can like know that we're going to be okay? We're just kind of going through a tough time. Are couples having challenges integrating back into the world from being in their little cocoon and pandemic bubbles with each other? Are you seeing challenges that are happening as we obviously now are like more than a year into reopening things up? Are there new challenges they didn't anticipate? I think what I'm noticing now is that like most... I mean, some people still kind of stayed remote. They're still working from home. So the challenge is that how are we, again, getting enough space from one another? How are we like disconnecting from work, setting boundaries with like work and personal life? This is the, this is the thing that is coming to my office a lot lately that like they're both working from home and then they're that they can't really have rituals because they're constantly like talking to one another in passing and just like checking in. So it's just like um, knowing how to separate that work life from personal life is still a huge challenge that I'm noticing in couples. Yeah, it feels like a lot of my couples come in and they say that they haven't quite moved forward since COVID where we're just kind of in the same routine. We're doing the same thing every day. I'm wearing the same outfits over and over again because we're working from home. And so many of my couples have been coming in and saying, it just feels like we haven't really grown since then. Mm. And we need a new goal in our relationship or we need a new way for us to connect outside of the house. Okay, great. So that was your warm up. You guys ready? <laughs> I gave you a, a softball. All right. So, you know, some people are back into the world and they are dating. So I have a bunch of dating questions from my relationship experts to help those that are dating. So number one, Levies, what is ghosting and why is it happening? Let's <laughs> <laughs> take it away. <laughs> I can. I'll start. So um, I think this term is like very thrown around, but it's also very um, common, too, in the sense of it being like when people don't know how to maybe tell somebody that they're not into them or Mm -hmm. that they um, their personalities aren't necessarily matching they find a easier strategy and a way to just not say anything. If I don't say anything to this person, if I stop responding, then maybe they won't, then I don't have to really tell them how I feel. Um, and it makes it a little bit of easier on them, but in the long term, it hurts the other person because they have no idea what, what went wrong or what was happening. Does it hurt the person in the long term to not own their stuff? I mean, I, it, it, what I'm hearing you say is, whoo, I saved some face or I saved myself some discomfort for a week. Right. Right. Is there going to be like a boomerang impact for like not dealing with your Mm -hmm. true feelings? Yeah. I mean, I think that 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 would just keep that behavior would probably keep on happening because that was what was learned to be like most comfortable or easier. But in like I was saying, in the long run, it's um, just going to possibly make that person feel like they can't necessarily share how they feel or aren't really in touch with themselves enough to express themselves. And you talked about attachment injuries earlier. Would this be like an avoidant behavior? Absolutely. <laughs> Very much avoidant. Yes. Okay. All right. Okay. Any other thoughts on ghosting or why it's happening? I think one of the reasons could be like, it's very hard for a lot of people to say no or to express like, I this is something that I don't 
like, or this is something that doesn't work for me. So instead of just facing that, like, I don't know, the difficult time of like saying, expressing how you truly feel, a lot of times people just avoid it. So that's why they're just like, ghost, I get <laughs> you. So, because I want to avoid saying no or saying exactly what works for me. So in the unlikely event, one of your clients would ask advice before ghosting someone, because that would never happen. But what would be your thoughts or wisdom for them about how to handle it? I think a big thing that I always bring it back to is one, what are the pros and cons of that, right? Like, yeah, it's great that you're not going to have to be confrontational with this person. That's awesome that you don't have to have an uncomfortable conversation. None of us like uncomfortable conversations except for us in this room, because it's what we do for a living. Um, but I, yeah, that is a, a wonderful pro. That's about the only pro that exists in ghosting is the fact that you don't have to have an uncomfy conversation. But the reality is, is that in relationships, we have to have uncomfortable conversations all the time. So I think getting the ability to work on your skills to have those uncomfortable conversations, even if it's somebody that, you know, you don't see a long-term outcome with, which like, Hey, what a better person to like, there's not a better person to practice those mm -hmm. skills with. Mm -hmm. um, not saying that you should say rude things, but what an awesome opportunity for you to learn how to have uncomfortable conversations rather than just not respond, which I think is just really natural too in the, online uh, dating app world that we live into. Good, good advice. Okay, so next question from a subscriber and I'm kind of rephrasing, but is it a red flag when people who spend a long time texting before they meet? Why are they not transitioning to phone calls or meeting in person sooner? I don't know if it's a red flag. I mean, I guess it could be if you're getting catfished, but. <laughs> and what is catfish for those of us that are 150 years old and we don't know what that means? You're getting catfished if somebody is pretending to be a different person online than they are in the real world. Mm -hmm. My favorite example was on the show Catfish when somebody thought that they were dating Katy Perry and somebody was going. They thought Katy Perry was yeah. an option and was reaching yes. out. Okay, Bless cool. Their heart. Right. They did. They did. Like, <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm dating someone. It's Katy Perry. Um, so that's what catfishing is. Um, so I, I think, I don't know. I like building connections with people before I, I invest a lot of time mm -hmm. in that relationship. I do think it's good to meet people in person though, because you definitely get a different vibe in person mm -hmm. than you do on text. Yeah. You anyone, like, Is there a general text? rule of how long we should be texting before we, do you, you all even talk on the phone anymore? Or is that just like an old school thing? <laughs> like, do you I, just text and then I, meet? Like, how's this go? I feel like a lot of people feel more comfortable with texting because, you know, I don't know, especially in the dating world, you know, I don't want, a lot of times people want to video call or FaceTime, you know, you don't really feel comfortable or put yourself yeah. out there just before even meeting someone yeah. to have, I guess, a video call with them. So it's more comfortable to do texting because you can express yourself without like fear of like being judged or fear of, um, I don't know, someone not liking what you said. So um, I don't, I don't see it as being a red flag. Mm. But also for a long time. What does that mean? What is are it? We well, just give us avoiding, a guideline. Are we avoiding something? Are we just like uh, really scared to 
confront or like be in person, be out in the world. So I would say I don't I don't want to give. So if you're not Katy Perry and you're not out on tour (laughs) and that's keeping you from meeting your person, should we be because old school dating rules are like you should hurry up and try to make an appointment to like meet in person. Why are you prolonging this thing? Because if you don't have sexual chemistry, it's probably not going to go anywhere anyway. So what are we prolonging by continuing to text with each other? Like disappointment or I something that's coming to mind is like the urgency of meeting somebody and dating too. If if somebody is more so like I want to just text for a little bit, I'm not mm. looking to meet up. Where mm. there's people who are as soon as I'm attracted to this person online, I'm ready to meet them and let's go on a date tomorrow. Mm. Uh, so I think it depends on that. And something else I know with certain apps, like the texting period is like a week long. Mm. Oh. For certain apps, and then it kind of pushes you to get their their phone number if you don't have it already, uh-huh. and then possibly go on dates after that. So the app acts as the matchmaker and intermediary In of like, <laughs> here's the appropriate amount of time. Yeah, must move forward it's a now. Ballpark. <laughs> Interesting. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Hey, you guys are doing great. Um, okay. <laughs> we're we're cranking up the uh, sexual activity here in the dating. Is there a time frame that's too soon to have sex with a new partner? Do you think you are relaying an unintentional message when you have it too soon? The percolating thoughts for those of you who are listening that are not watching their brains are moving. There's a hamster running on a trail and all of their heads. I don't I don't know. It all depends on the relationship, the connection that you build with one another. I, I know for a lot of people, what I see with my couples, you know, you, a lot of times they want to build that emotional connection first before like getting to the physical connection. So um I think it depends on how the emotional connection goes. I mean, if you can build that connection with someone within like a month, it might feel right to uh, take the next step and like have more physical intimacy. But um, I don't know. I've, I I don't think that there's like specific is like too soon or too late. Mm-hmm. It all depends on the, the the relationship, the goals for the relationship, and also like how we feel connected mm. you know, I think that is something that I'm noticing a lot of times people say I want to feel emotionally connected before our physical connection mm-hmm. would we have these conversations with people about why we're waiting or not waiting or expectations mm-hmm. oh absolutely I mean I think we're this is a question that's so popular. I mean, it's been in like Cosmo magazine for forever of like how to find your partner. Should you have sex on the first date? Should you not? Like, does that increase your chances of connection? And I think, you know, physical connection is important within relationships. I don't think it necessarily matters in the time frame. And just like you said, Farnaz, of like, it depends on what you're trying to create out of that relationship. What's the nature that you're trying to create in it? And, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a one night stand. There's nothing wrong with, you know, waiting to have sex because you're trying to build more emotional connection. It's just kind of up to what you're wanting out of these moments. And if you're wanting a long-term partner or if you're wanting, you know, a sexual connection. Yeah. I think too, if there, if there's open communication about what, like Sabrina saying, what, what we want, if it's that long-term relationship or maybe more of a, a one night stand type of situation. And we're both open to that possibility of taking it to that physical step. Um, just having that communication 
ahead of time, I think helps people to know like where they, where they um, align in that. And I think as long as that's there, then, you know, to, to each their own really would, I don't think that there's a ne- necessarily like a magical number or time frame. Okay, great. You guys are, I, I'm learning. I'm learning. All right. So uh, we've had sex. What's the appropriate response to each other after that first night? Do you play it cool or do you like gush over them and let them know how much it meant to you? Like, is there some recommendations of how to handle the next day? <laughs> I think that that's personal preference. I'm not a fan of playing it cool. I'm a fan of like, be honest with the person, let them know what you think. Maybe we don't need to start planning our honeymoon the day after. <laughs> Maybe we don't need to be delusional, but if you're interested in the person that you just had sex with, why wouldn't you want to tell them that? Why do mm-hmm. we have to play it cool? Why do we have to act like it's no big deal? I mean, mm-hmm. emotion, emotional intimacy and physical intimacy are intimacy, right? Mm-hmm. There's a connection that has to be built, whether it's a one night stand whether it's a long-term relationship, why do we have to play it cool? I'm a fan of talking about it. Mm-hmm. I'm also a fan of being honest yeah. <laughs> with yourself and with your partner. So whatever that is coming up for you, that's like how you truly feel about that connection. So don't shy away from it or just be truthful to yourself and express how you're feeling. Not like... I don't know, jumping up and down and, you know, but just like truly express what's going on and how you felt and what was that like for you? Because that's the connection that you're building in that moment. And that's the emotional connection that you're looking for. So truly express it. I think that it is also a great way to show each other, like, how can I have these types of conversations with you? Because I totally agree with what everybody's saying here of being honest and open. And if, if we can see that, that we're able to, to speak in that way and be honest and that our, the other person is too, then communication is just going to keep evolving and hopefully getting better. And we're going to keep feeling safe. And I do think the sooner that those conversations happen, the better that's going to be throughout the, the course of the relationship. If we're waiting and then we're just too nervous to talk about it or conflict avoided or whatever it might be, we're probably then not going to get our sexual needs met because of that too. Okay. So we're being honest, we're talking about our feelings, we're having hopefully decent sex. You guys are now in a relationship and you and the partner got in your first disagreement. So do you recommend that they just let it go and tell themselves, you know what, I'll bring that up if it happens again, or do you address it right away? I would say you need to talk about it. You don't have to just say, it's okay. Uh, I'll put it aside this time, I guess, uh, because over time you will start storing things up and that's not a healthy thing in your relationship. So I think if something is bothering you, there are right ways to say it, to bring it up. You know, it's important how you communicate that with your partner. Um, But I think it's important to have conversations about it. Yeah, I mean, you're building the the building blocks of what your relationship is going to look like. And part of what you are building is how your conflict is going to look like and how your partner can show up for you during conflict, right? Of like, do I need to have us holding hands when we're talking? Do I need to make sure that we're having eye contact? Or, you know, for some couples, it's, I don't want to look at you. I want us to go on a walk. And that feels a lot more comfortable for us to process where we're outside and I can breathe and we're moving. Right. And, you're building that at the beginning of the relationship. So 
if it's something that maybe you were irritable and you're able to go, this actually wasn't that big of a deal. I think I was just having a bad day. That's the time when I think we can let things slide. But if it's, no, I'm feeling unheard or I'm feeling unseen or I'm feeling like my partner isn't validating my experience, that's probably something we should bring up because that's universal. That's going to come up in whether it's us arguing at the grocery store or us having a conversation about your family. If I don't feel seen in that conflict, that's what needs to get adjusted. Yeah, I think, I mean, I agree, I agree with with that as well. I think that it's also important to like look at what's the difference between a disagreement versus like a really like a, a big conflict that we're having. Because that's something I'm often telling my couples is, it's totally normal to have disagreements. You're two different people. You came from different backgrounds. Like you're going to have disagreements. You're going to see the world differently. And um, if we're talking about that, then hopefully when the time comes where maybe it seems like a bigger conflict where maybe our emotional needs aren't met or we feel unheard that because we've been having conversations about disagreements, it might feel a little less scary or overwhelming too. Do you think that some new partners and relationships mistake, they call a disagreement something that should be a boundary and that we are like not asserting our boundaries because we like the way that it's going. So we just call it a disagreement to try to minimize the fact that we need to do an early boundary addressing. Yes. 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 I often hear like, let's just agree to disagree. Mm -hmm. And then um, I often ask, well, is, is there a boundary in there? Is there something that we kind of in a way have to agree that this is one or both partners boundary? We can't just minimize it and let it go. It's going to, it's going to come back. Okay, great. So shifting, we're still in this great relationship. We're doing our work with each other. And one of us decides that we need to start sharing about our mental health issues, right? We're in a new relationship. What do we do? How do we bring it up? How much do we tell? What What's your recommendation? I think that's also a boundary that each of us have in regards to mental health. And it's not like you don't have to share everything about it but also what's comfortable sharing what's what feels right to share with your partner especially if you're like and looking at like being in a long-term relationship I think that's that's an important conversation to have but when is the right time it all depends on you what feels right how do you feel comfortable because you know the minute that you share about it you're being vulnerable with your partner and that's that vulnerability you need to feel safe to do that so um if you're not going to be judged and like you're not, it's not going to be used against you so you need to make sure that it feels right um so it doesn't have to be as soon as you meet the person, but like um, you just have to make sure that you, you can be heard and also feel safe to do so. And you need to know what your boundaries are around it, too. Do you want to have prepared what you want them to respond to? Like, do you want to ask them how to react to you? Like, if this is hard for you, can you tell me if you have questions about how it impacts me? Do you understand depression, anxiety, and mental health issues? Do you come up with your, so that you're not just hanging it out there and they're like, and you feel cringy <laughs> and you want to yeah. pull it off the table. Like, would that be an appropriate way to start thinking about sharing it? 
Yeah. I mean, I think letting your partner know the reason why you think it's important to share with them as well of, you know, I want to share this with you because I think it's going to impact our relationship or it impacts me in this way. And, you know, if I'm struggling with depression, some days I, you know, don't want to get out of bed and I need you to know that about me and here's how you can help me. And here's what my expectations or my hopes are and how you can support me in that way. And, you know, if you have questions about what that looks like for me or how you can help, we, we need to have a conversation all together because I like to say, you know, when there is some type of mental health difficulty, whether it be, you know, depression, anxiety, or substance use, abuse, addiction, that's like a third party that's in our relationship. We have to acknowledge it. We can't just act like it doesn't exist because it's going to impact the way I show up for you. It's going to impact the way that I can connect with you. Yeah, and I think it can be really hard on those who do struggle with any mental health addiction, um, substance abuse, that if they can't go to their partner and just be and, and have like a transparent conversation of like, I'm having a really tough time here. I'm struggling. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm just not myself. If they can't have that conversation and they may feel like they have to hide parts of who they are and then possibly leads to questions like, do I know if my partner can support me? And if they, and that's probably going to be really important to know long-term too, like, can I rely on my partner to be there for me on my rough, on my rough days? And what does that look like? And what, yeah. And what does that look like? What are the conversations we've had? Do you know how you can be there for me in the ways that like I would be best received? And like, we need to be very specific about what that support looks like and what that means. Mm-hmm. What, what do I need in those moments? Because like support me is like a vague term that a lot of people don't know how to support you. Do you want me to text you every night? Do you want me to just bring you coffee every morning? What does that mean? So I think it's just like breaking it down and being very specific about it. I think that's important too. I would say piggybacking on that, also a conversation about how it's not my partner's responsibility to fix my mental health issue and that I'm giving you permission not to be my hero, right? Because that sets it up for some pressure. Okay. All right. So let's move on to talking about being exclusive because I hear from my clients and from this subscriber that it's hard to understand if couples if that's cool, <laughs> like there's so much like, Hey, we're supposed to like not ask each other for exclusive. Like, so how would you, if you wanted to know if, if somebody wanted to be exclusive, how would you bring it up? How would you ask for it? Like, what are, what, how would you flesh out that conversation? I think probably the way that I, I hear it posed the most is, you know, I want us to talk about if we're seeing other people. Mm. Like, are you seeing okay. other people? Are we dating other people? Are Does that having, mean am I having sex uh, with other people? Are you having okay. sex with other people, mm-hmm. right? And I think we need to be um, pretty clear in that question because I have heard it many a times where it's, well, I didn't know that we were exclusive. I thought that, you know, we were, I thought you were still seeing people. I saw that so-and-so texted you and I know that you dated them. And it's a big confusing mess that couples can avoid just by having a conversation of, are you seeing other people? Where do you see this relationship going? Do you want to be exclusive? What are you wanting out of this relationship, right? What's our goal here? What do we want? 
Yeah, I I think too, like setting up your intentions as early on as possible is helpful, especially if you are just trying, just dating and kind of not, maybe not really looking for a serious relationship, maybe being upfront with that, with whoever you're seeing so they know that. Or if you're really like, hey, I'm in a place where I'm like looking for an exclusive partner. I'm wanting one partner right now. Is that something you're open, you're open to? Um, I do think it can be a little messy in the beginning for a lot of couples because they I, I i often hear it can feel really uncomfortable it can feel embarrassed if they put themselves out there and then the other partner might not feel the same way mm-hmm. um so then i think a lot of work around trying to like really value yourself and your worth and that it's if you're getting that answer earlier on then that's probably better for for you so you're not wasting your time or if somebody's not on the same page it feels like it would be attractive to own what you want. Yeah. Like, just like, so I'm not interested in having sex unless we're exclusive. Mm-hmm. I'd love to know if you're on other dating apps or you've shut it down. Like, yeah. does that sound too ballsy or does that sound like you know what you want? It sounds like you know what you want. <laughs> and it's attractive. You know, if you know exactly what you're looking for, what you want, what your goals are for this relationship, I think your partner, I mean, if they're on the same page, they will actually value that more. And it all goes back to communication, you know, like opening up, talking about it. That, And it might feel like it's a scary conversation to have because you're, again, putting kind of like you're being vulnerable again. So it is scary, but it's important to have those conversations. Because I can't imagine it feels better to hope that we're going to be exclusive, have sex with you in the hopes that you'll want to be exclusive because we had sex and then find out, oh, no, 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 I wasn't doing that. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. that sounds like the ultimate worst. Yeah. I think it, it feels so painful that so many people end up doing it because they think that that's the way that dating looks right now. Mm. And I know for a lot of women, there's this idea of like being the cool girl, which is just the girl that kind of just goes along with it and she's nonchalant and like I don't really care that much and that somehow makes you want me more because mm-hmm. I am cool and I don't really have a lot of like ba- boundaries yes requirements mm-hmm. is the perfect word for it mm-hmm. um, and so since I'm so low maintenance that's gonna make you like me more which I think a lot of women end up getting hurt by because all that means is you're not advocating for what your needs are for what yeah. your intentions are but I think they do that out of the hope of, oh, this will get me a partner. Which sounds frightening because it's basically saying, I don't even care about in a loving way, that you don't even care about what happens to your body. You're sort of cool with it, which is flies in the face of everything that we've been saying right now about like, I need consent, but if I don't consent to like even knowing the status of my relationship that sounds ultra confusing i think it's just not not only your body but your emotional state as well like i don't care if you don't text me i don't care if you know i want to be in a relationship and you're telling me that you're not interested in that like i'll i'll go along with it what are you getting out of that outside of you know somebody that clearly you're interested in and you're you want to be in a relationship with but they were clear with you I think you should be clear with them and with yourself too okay all right let's let's go back to talking about sex in a new relationship so is there something that is too much to talk about at the beginning or should it be saved until you know this person better 
I don't think you need to go into detail about your sex with other partners and mm. what you liked that other partners did. You can tell your partner your sexual interests without saying like, well, my ex did this thing and I really liked it. <laughs> because then that's this awkward comparison in, you know, each other's heads of like, oh, am I doing this the way your ex did? I hope so. Yeah, I I agree. I think the details of like uh, past <laughs> partners are not very helpful uh, to be so detailed. And this is what I like, or this is this is what my ex did that I loved, or whatnot. But I I do often find this question come up in couples that I see of like where one partner really wants to know a lot about the. Um, the sex, the past life of the sex partner, of their mm. partner, like how many partners they've been with. Um, Why do you think that's important? Well, something I often hear is that it helps to inform them to know more about uh, like, possible, like, <laughs> questions that they might want to ask the other partner. Or like experience level? Experience level. I think, mm. I think it helps them to feel like, are we, on, are we on the same page or do we come from a similar background, so to speak? But I do think that that can cause some conflict because everybody has their own experiences with sex and past partners. And I don't know how helpful it is to share that information unless there's like a, a, a really important question. Like, like you have an meaningful. STD you got from a partner that you should share? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes. That you should share. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is something that I it just it feels to me like it would create insecurity mm -hmm. right like how much were you into sex with your last partner did they give you more orgasms than I do or like I can just imagine wh why that would be fraught with insecurity right yeah and I do often ask like wh what is the reason for wondering like is it is it gonna help your sex life with your partner or is it just it's coming from a place of curiosity and I just really want to know and it's not really gonna help then maybe how about for those people that it's like very important to them that they haven't had many partners because it makes them pure or whatever the thought is that now I found out that you've had multiple partners how mm -hmm. how would that impact the relationship would it maybe make somebody not want to be in it and so maybe it's messing up the opportunity for something that could be great possibly yeah I think it could lead the one who's less experienced to um feel like they can't measure up or they aren't uh, um they don't have enough experience to please their other partner or what it what, what it might be but um yeah Which is such a strange pitfall of mm -hmm. like wanting to not have a lot of partners but then like also perform like you're like a porn star <laughs> of like where okay so what's the right number like zero but you should know everything like yeah confusing how do we win that game right yeah, I mean, and it got, as you mentioned, it creates insecurities in relationship, which becomes the biggest barrier in your sex life, you know, because then you, you feel like you're not performing right, you're not satisfying your partner. So it's just like, it gets more and more difficult to have a better sex life. You guys are doing great. We have two questions. You ready? Yes. yes. All right. This is a hard one. I was giving you lots of time to get into your groove. How do you know you're in love and what should you do about it? <laughs> oh gosh it's a big question it's probably a different answer for everybody for everybody yeah you know 
So I, what are the signs and symptoms? <laughs> Let's DSM five it. What, what, what do we, how do we uh, diagnose it? It's that gut feeling. <laughs> it's just like, I don't know how to describe it. It's just a feeling that I feel like you miss the other person and you're excited to see them. And, um, you're constantly thinking about that person. I don't know. It's just that good feeling, the butterfly, not the butterfly feeling, because that might be the initial um, new relationship energy, new relationship energy. But as it goes on and you still feel that way, I think that is there. That's that's a message that you need to listen to. That means something. Yeah. One of the ideas in the Gottman world, which is the type of therapy we do here, um, is the idea of commitment. And I think to me, that sums up a lot of feelings of love as well, where it's the idea, not only that we should be committed to this relationship and to you, and I want to, you know, fulfill your needs as a partner, but also if you are in pain, then so am I, right? If you're struggling, then I'm willing to sit here and notice you. And I want to fix that with you. And if you're hurting, then wow, I'm hurting too. And I want to be your partner through that. Um, and so I think that to me really symbolizes what love is of, you know, your world impacts my world too. And mm -hmm. I want to share that with you, not only the good stuff, but also the tricky stuff too. Yeah. I was thinking too, as you asked that, like trials and tribulations too, like, is this partner, is this person somebody that I can go through life with and have like, and be my real raw self and know that at the end of the day, you're still going to be there for me or, um, we can have communication about it. And I think that kind of coincides with the commitment and also trust too, of like, when I feel the utmost trust and commitment to my partner, I probably feel a lot of love for this person. And that feeling of in, being in love, I think is kind of rooted in that too. I find a lot of my clients shift to this sense of wanting to protect the other person. And that can be like a sign that they're an integral part of your world, right? You are planning for a future with them. You're, you're caring about the impact of the world on them and your impact in helping them navigate that, that that increases. Yeah. And I think part of love is also like, if I can be my true self with you and I don't really have to change parts of me to make sure that you're happy. I think that that is a, that, an indicator or a sign that you are in a loving relationship you're wanted for who you are and you're respected mm -hmm. for who you are and like the fact that I don't have to constantly fight for something or constantly prove myself um show you that I am lovable or I'm worthy of it I think that is a sign that you are in the relationship that you can be loved and like that you can love that person Okay, ladies, you've done great. G give us some last tips, right? What do each of you want couples to know about the way they should be approaching a new relationship or how should they be asking for their needs if they feel so they don't feel like they're being too pushy or needy? I think what I've been kind of working on with my, um, some of my individual clients who are now in the, like the dating world and like wanting to go on dates, um, the ex one exercise that I've been doing with them is just like writing down their values, their needs and deal breakers, red flags. So I think knowing exactly what your values are in your life and what you're looking for, what your needs are, you can better express them and you can be very like 
specific and straightforward about what you really are looking for. So, um, and a lot of my clients, they actually love this exercise because they're like, oh, I didn't know that this was a need of mine. I didn't know that I really value like um, communication or friendship in my relationships. And now I know what I'm exactly looking for. So when I go on dates and I don't really get that from the other person, I know that this is not going to work for me. And I'm not going to convince myself that maybe it's going to change or maybe maybe I will see it two months down the road. So just knowing what your values are and learning how to express them, I think that's an important mm-hmm. thing to keep in mind. <laughs> Good advice. Yeah. On that note too, I think I, I see this happen a lot in um, individual clients that I see if they're going through a breakup, a separation or a divorce. Um, and processing that of, of course, the pain and the discomfort and the hurt that comes with all that. And also, um, this is a time to really look at like what was not working in that relationship or what are your needs now that you are a single person and you can think about that in a different way. And I think that I often see that brings a lot of peace to people as they're like figuring it out for themselves. And then as they are dating, like Farnas was saying, being way more aware of like the things that I need, the things that I'm going to look out for. And um, I often hear for clients that are being mindful of that. It's like, wow, like I feel like I know more of who I am and I know more of myself now because I'm actually looking out for what I need or want in, in another person. I think it can be. I think it can be a, like a beautiful thing and a really messy, painful thing at the same time, like a relationship complicated. Yes, <laughs> ebbs and flows. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think a lot of times we focus so much on you know what we can do for our partner and how we can make sure that the relationship is continuing to go, and it can be really important for us to just kind of take a pause and reflect on, okay, wait, what are my needs as a person? What do I bring into this relationship and who am I, right? Of what's the independence that I have within myself that I can offer to this relationship. And when we're single, it's a lot of finding out who you are, finding out what your needs are, finding out, you know, what makes you, you, what are you wanting within a partner? What are you bringing to the table? You know, and how can I then feel secure in that and feel like when I do go into a relationship, I can assert my needs because I know what they are and I know who I am and I know what I deserve within this relationship. And I think also, you know, bringing it full circle and talking about COVID during that time, a lot of couples, I think, became so dependent on each other Mm -hmm. that we lost senses of who are we as individuals Mm -hmm. because we were just looking at our partners to be everything, right? Of like, you're my best friend. You're also my coworker. You're also, you know, my partner, but also you're the person that like is, is my housekeeper at the same time. And it can be so important, not only for us to build relationships within ourselves, but also just within our community. You know, your partner can't be your everything. And if you're putting that pressure on your partner, that's a lot of pressure to be your best friend, to be, you know, your coworker, to be your everything. So communicate and also just be able to understand what who you are and what your needs are within relationships too. Thank you. This is such a treat. I love 
knowing all of you, you're such an inspiration to your clients. And I feel like we are so fortunate to have each other in our lives to be able to like bounce these ideas back and provide a safe space for the people that are hurting. So I hope that somebody heard something today that resonated with them or that they felt understood a little bit more. So for Nas, Savannah, Sabrina, love you all. Thank you so much for participating. And if we get another set of questions, I would love it if you guys would come hang out again. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into the D spot. Find me, Dr. Dana McNeil and my guests on social media using the links down below. Subscribe for new episodes weekly and leave a comment letting us know how and if you can relate or what topics you'd like us to cover next. See you next time. And don't forget, going to therapy is cool.